Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Tonight's presentation is titled, How to Be a Calm, Effective Changemaker During Troubled Times. We live in chaotic times filled with old and new stressors. We are bombarded on a daily basis with news about political discord, environmental destruction, and social degradation. Our unlimited access to sources of information and news opens doors to all kinds of inputs into our consciousness. We are continuously reminded of our inadequacies, if only we could have another new gadget, or be thinner, or younger. And we are called upon to respond to all kinds of urgencies and emergencies, from devastation in the tropics, to the need for action to stop gun violence, and our political candidates running out of money by midnight. (laughs) Frankly, we're all anxious and exhausted, feeling helpless, not to mention somewhat depressed. Our political situation has added an extra layer of stress by causing polarization and separation, even among members of our own family, to the point where we're all shouting past each other and then feeling dejected and depressed. We retreat to the safety of like-minded friends, chat groups, and social media sites. In conversation, many of us confess that we know better, but feel powerless to do anything about where we find ourselves. And some of us are feeling so miserable that we are using cookies, ice cream, and alike for momentary jolts of bliss and happiness. Fortunately, and just in time for the start of an even more stressful year, James Barras, our speaker for this evening, is here to teach us how to reawaken our joy and avoid becoming overwhelmed and rendered ineffective by outrage, anxiety, or despair. For decades, James has been showing people how to lead change through the joyful responsibility of commitment, love, and effective action. James is a co-founder of the Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Marin County. He is co-author of the Awakening Joy books and the Awakening Joy course that through fun and rewarding practices has led more than 20,000 people to achieve deep insight and authentic joy. Tonight, James will share with us practices that can help us to be effective, compassionate change makers, and even find joy and meaning despite the negativity in our environment. So please help me welcome James Barris to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hello, good evening. That's a tall order, isn't it? (laughs) I hope your bar is reasonably realistic anyway, uh, as far as um, getting in touch with joy in the middle of these times. Um, First, I want to thank the Commonwealth Club and uh, Eric and, and Shiva for inviting me. I've been listening to Commonwealth Club uh, radio broadcasts for years, and so when I was invited, oh well, that's neat to uh, a, a, an institution that I really respect and uh, it does such good work. So thank you. Um, so here we are, fresh into 2020, as probably many people have have told you. Oh, may we see clearly this this year with 2020 vision. But um, it's not so easy, is it? Um, Just even in this first week. And it had been getting intense up till now. And so we're just at the beginning of what I personally feel is um, a key year in our unfolding of the human experiment for many reasons. This is a time to really, as I say, put all your chips in and to not play small, to not let your self-doubts or timidity or who, me, what can I do uh, get in the way of 
letting all the goodness inside of you shine through and help awaken that in others. So that's the, the, the true uh, mission in my mind and my heart as we get together and this year as we uh, go through the year with whoever I'm speaking with. Um, and I, I'm somebody that knows those small voices uh, that are different from the still small voice, the ones that say, who are you? Who do you think you are? You know, why should people listen to you? I mean, that's that's basically why I have been teaching meditation and um, and these philosophies, and particularly focusing on on joy uh, for um, for the last. Uh, I was just speaking with Shiva, who who took my course. Uh, she told me she and her husband uh, told me and and liked it too. Um, <laughs> For now, uh, 17 years, this will be the 17th year that we're just starting in uh, later on this month, um, in the beginning of February too, um, which you can take online, by the way, and there's information uh, out in the uh, in the lobby. Uh, but um, this is why I teach, because I know what those small voices, the ones that say, uh, who do you think you are? Are, or is it really okay to uh, to let joy into my life? Is it really okay to express my joy? Is it really uh, okay to feel um, equanimous or at least practice that while while there's so while there's so much suffering in the world? And I'm here to say uh, I don't. I think it's not only okay, I think it's vital. And I'm remembering uh, a number of years ago uh, when I was speaking, it was about five years ago, I was speaking with a a dear friend who um, was the, for many years, the director of the climate change program for World Wildlife Fund, who also happens to be a a very dedicated um, meditation practitioner. And it was after I was shaken up reading Bill McKibben's book, Earth, which I highly recommend, Earth with two A's, and feeling, I've got to do something. And I said to to my friend, I said, Lou, I don't know what I can do, but I've just got to do something. But all I've been doing for the last 35 years at that time uh, had been uh, has been teaching meditation and in the last 15 years teaching about joy you know and what I don't know what I have to offer you know sometimes I think people think of me oh that's the joy boy over there you know and it might seem frivolous and he looked at me and um, I'll never forget it uh, he looked at me he said James, joy might be the most important thing we need to remember as we do this. You go on teaching that stuff and get people in touch with all that makes life worth living and makes them get in touch with their caring so that they can come not from fear or despair or uh, hopelessness, uh, but from loving life and wanting to make a difference. So as we explore a little bit about this topic, uh, I hope you keep that in mind. And while I think about it, I'll I'll read to you um, an excerpt that I I put in my book uh, that you might find helpful as well because um, people can be skeptical. They can... They're they're dragged by their their spouse to do a course awakening joy is uh, Shiva and her spouse who came up and said it was good. It took him four classes before he kind of finally said, "Oh, this is really good." Okay, uh, you know. To, and but people can be skeptical. And I remember um, somebody uh, raising their hand at the beginning and saying, "Are we just sitting around and sitting singing kumbaya here? You know, what about all the suffering in the world?" And it's a it's a really important question that comes up and I shared with him uh, something um, the the basic principle that I have from this quote which is from Howard Zinn uh, and you might know his name he was he wrote the people's history of the United States the 
unvarnished history that says the 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 good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, uh, the real history of of our country, um, and also happens to be or happened to be he passed away a few years ago, uh, the father-in-law of John Kabat-Zinn, who is the the big. Uh, mindfulness um, pioneer of bringing these practices to the uh, to the secular world. But this is from uh, an essay that he wrote called The Optimism of Uncertainty. He says, an optimist isn't necessarily a blithe, slightly sappy whistler in the dark of our time. To be hopeful in bad times is not just foolishly romantic, It is based on the fact that human history is a history not only of cruelty, but also of compassion, sacrifice, courage, kindness. What we choose to emphasize in this complex history will determine our lives. If we remember, if we see only the worst, it destroys our capacity to do something But if we remember those times and places, and there are so many where people have behaved magnificently, this gives us energy to act and at least the possibility of sending the spinning top of a world in a different direction. So this is almost a, a, a subversive thing that we're doing to get in touch with our joy and not fall into the mainstream momentum of fear, anxiety, uh, despair, um, panic, hopelessness. So how to do that? <clears throat> and I'll, I'll, ter- I'll tell you a little bit about the principles and then we can maybe do some practices so that... Um, you have a first-hand experience. So I was somebody um, that got into meditation, mindfulness meditation, 1974. And I, um, it, was, it was really wonderful. It was like I had a lot of suffering inside. My life looked pretty good on the outside, but inside there was a lot of internal turmoil. And um, I uh, found the meditation. And for a while, I was... I was home. It was like I found what I was looking for and I had what was called the long honeymoon period um, where I just would tell people, you just have to be mindful. You just have to be mindful. You know? And that lasted for a while. But uh, at some point I got very serious about my spiritual practice. Dead serious. Emphasis on the dead. And I lost my joy. And uh, what I and I went through a period for some time uh, like that, and then at some point I said, "Okay, well, what do these teachings have to say about uh, about happiness and well-being?" Uh, the Dalai Lama he starts out his book, "The Art of Happiness." It's a beautiful book with the line, "The purpose of life is to be happy." The purpose of life is to be happy. Just let that land for a moment. The purpose of life is to be happy. He's not saying, oh, eat as much ice cream as you can and just kind of go la-la and and dance in, in the field of daisies, but find true happiness inside because when you do, then all of your gifts, all of your beautiful qualities that life has given you shine through rather than being caught in the self-judgment or, uh, or self-loathing or wondering how we're doing vis-a-vis others. You find your own true happiness and see, oh, there's a pretty good person in here. You know, who knew? Wow. And then you're not so preoccupied with how am I doing and what do they think of me and am I really okay? Do I really have a right to be here? But you stop focusing on yourself and seeing am I really okay and just say, oh, yeah, I am okay. I'm, 
I'm part of life, of course. And then you can focus even more on others and, and share from your heart. So I went back and, and looked at the teachings and uh, found three principles. I'll just name them very uh, briefly, so, and then we'll get into some practices, that the, the book and the course and the, the philosophy uh, that I looked into are, is based and put them in a very, in an, hopefully an accessible way. First principle is really understanding where happiness lies, where true happiness lies, which means uh, not buying into everything that others want you to buy into um, and seeing that happiness is not about stuff. It's about us. It's about what's in here. Let me see. And I, I just want to share with you a, an example of this. And I share this both for your own understanding and also to understand the important thing that we need to communicate these days when our world is being eaten up by consumption. So this is a an ad called The Gold Shivers. For those listening, uh, it's a beautiful woman draped in gold, very happy. And here's the ad. The gold shivers, that electric excitement, that thrilling warmth. Every new piece of gold jewelry ignites it once again. Nothing makes you feel as good as gold. It's a two-page ad, so you can see her on the other. What is the real substance of a new piece of gold jewelry? Emotion, pure and powerful. From the first small shiver of excitement when a shimmering necklace of gold beads catches a woman's eye to the great shivers of delight when the coveted object actually becomes hers. Among life's pleasures, count this deeply felt euphoria as unique. The only way to get the gold shivers is by getting the gold. It's brilliant. You might not even care for jewelry, but you look at that and say, gee, I like some of that too, you know? Or you might say, I know this is a very sophisticated crowd. You might say, that's just madmen doing their thing. You can't fool me. The thing is, it works. That's why Coca-Cola will spend millions of dollars for 30 seconds of your attention to see, ah, Happiness in a bottle. And it gets in there. Those neural pathways start to be formed and you're in a rut of thinking, what's the next thing I need to make me happy? So the first principle is understanding where happiness really lies. And let me uh, just ask you, Think of something, you can close your eyes for a moment and just you do this, it'll be a little reflection. Think of something that brings you joy. When was the last time you had, and when I say joy, you don't need to be thinking about somersaults and you know just, just ecstasy. It can be even any kind of level of well-being that just feels really good. But if there's something that really does it for you, that brings you joy, um, just tune into it. Remember the last time you were in the middle of it? Hmm... Okay, all right, you can open your eyes and uh, we'll just take a few responses. I'll, I'll repeat them. Uh, just anything that, that brings you joy. Yes? Providing jumper cables to my neighbor. Ah, providing jumper cables to my neighbor. So helping others. Right. Time with granddaughter. Time with granddaughter. Beautiful. Uh, belly laughs for my kids. Yes, those close to us, family and loved ones. Just being here with my friends. Being here with my friends. Yes, beautiful. Anything besides the the connection of loved ones? Yes. Kite surfing. What was it? Kite surfing. Kite surfing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Cool. Listening to music, classical music in the back. Ah. Ah, dancing barefoot to positive music. Okay, one more we can do. Yes. The landscape. 
the landscape, nature, or just seeing seeing everything around you. Yes. Nobody said their jewelry, right? <laughs> right? Because it's not as uh, who was it Nietzsche or I forget who. Some joy is not in in things. It's it's in us. And so that's the first thing, not to get seduced by thinking, oh, it's out there. It's right in here and it's waiting to be um, activated. You have it in you. We were actually, no, no, we remember, or you might not remember who you were when uh, you came into this world. I want to remind you, okay, here's a, Chloe Thomas from Melbourne, Australia. It's a picture, by the way, for those who are listening, of a, a very serene baby. Okay. This is, she was actually born premature and she hadn't full, fully come to nine months uh, by this, this time. That's who you were. That's who you came into this world as. You might forget, but if you were fed and diapered, and God had a little bit of love. That's your nature. That's why we love being around babies. We see them and they squeal with delight and it kind of reminds us of something inside of us. Oh yeah. And so it's in you. It's, it's your birthright. And it gets covered over with life. And with all the messages that you get and the stresses that you get. But we all not only have that birthright, but we want to be happy. And some people, like the one who said about Kumbaya, I don't know about this joy stuff. Uh, Everybody wants to be happy. Anybody who doesn't want to be happy here? And if you're somebody that's holding back your hand saying, I like being grumpy. (laughs) That's just your way of being happy. Whatever turns you on, but we're all doing whatever we're doing, we're doing because we think in one way or another, it'll help us feel a little better or a little less bad. So it's just getting in touch with what that place is that really wants true happiness and knowing where happiness lies. And it lies in connecting with our aliveness, connecting not just being smiley smile, but feeling a sense of wholeness, a, a feeling of connection with what's really true for us. Even when things are hard, when we're connected and we're authentic and we have a, a, a kind heart, even that, the tough stuff is as important as the, the beautiful stuff. And it's a key part of this approach. So seeing where wholesome states can be developed and they are developed, all the states in the philosophy that I teach uh, of goodness and wholeness come from um, experiences that open us. For instance, just uh, go back to that that thing that you just thought of, whether it was dancing uh, barefoot or um, uh, playing with your family, just close your eyes once again and remember the last time that you were there. And remember how it felt inside. And if you were to, to describe the feeling inside of you, How would you describe it? Weightlessness. Okay, yes. What was it? Weightlessness. We'll take a few comments. Yes. Healing. What was it? Healing. Healing. Lovely. Joyful. Joyful, okay. And you can, if you can get in touch with the actual visceral feeling, um, and I'm not looking for any one right answer. But Full. Full. A fullness. Warm. Warm. Lovely. What was the answer? At ease. At ease. Yes. Elated. And one more. Connection. All of those states are states of expansion. Whether it's love or compassion or um, joy or peace, they're states where we're at ease or we feel alive and open. All of the states that are um, stressful states are states of contraction fear, anxiety, anger. Um, wanting, lust, whatever, 
their states of contraction. So the key is to develop wholesome states and notice them. Mm, I'm seeing I'm, the time is going by. Hopefully we'll have a lot of time for questions and answers. So, uh, But just finish these, um, uh, these three principles. Along with that feeling, there, there, along with that wholesome state, there's a feeling, a, a, a sense of uplift and gladness that usually we miss. And the key is don't miss it. It's so easy to miss and saying, wow, that's a magnificent sunset. Oh, let's see if I got that email uh, it came through, you know. And we miss it. And here's a key, that if you get in touch and are very present for that wholesome moment of well-being, you deepen that connection. A friend of mine, a, a great, uh, wonderful neuroscience uh, friend, Rick Hansen, maybe some of you have heard, of he has a formula here's a little thing you can take with you for when you're feeling a sense of openness and connection and love 15 seconds take 15 seconds and you don't have to make a big show of it it can be very quiet and just turn your attention and know not only oh i'm feeling good but this is what it feels like to feel good and he says if you do that six times in a day over a two-week period, I know six times a day, that's 90 seconds of well-being if you can handle it, and you do that over a two-week period, you will start to shift because one, you'll be deepening your neural pathways of well-being, and two, you'll be starting to be on the lookout for the good in your life. And that is the key. We are wired up so much to look for what is wrong we have these almond-shaped cluster of neurons in our brain called the amygdala that scans the horizon for what's wrong. And it's a good thing we have them. I mean, that's why we survive as a species. But they get overacted, overactive, especially when we're stressed. We keep on firing and looking, where's the danger? And so it takes practice to look for what's right. And it takes practice to actually be in touch with it and really let yourself feel it and let it register. The third principle I'll mention, then we'll get to a, 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 um, an exercise, is if you practice over time, little by little, you will shift your default setting because you will shift your confirmation bias, which is another uh, well-known uh, principle in neuroscience that you will find what you look for. And if you're looking for how everybody's going to disappoint you or the world is going down the tubes and uh, you know we've got no hope, your brain will selectively recognize and pick out everything that corroborates your theory. And there's plenty you know, if you're, and, and you might want to titrate your, you know, intake of that kind of thing, but not to the point of, of being disconnected, I feel. But if you start noticing really how people, everyone wants, everyone wants to feel safe, wants to be loved. If they are seen, there's a kind of goodness that, can, that we can often activate. If you look for the good, your brain will start to find it. It's how it works. We're wired up that way. And so as you practice it more and more, you start to shift your default setting. As it says in modern neuroscience, neurons that fire together wire together. And you start to set up new neural pathways. This takes practice. So what I did in my uh, in my course and wrote in the book is take these teachings and think of 10 different principles, classical principles that uh, cultivate these wholesome states and then don't miss it. Okay. So I'll do one with you right now. One of them, one of the most direct ways to feel uplift and joy is gratitude. 
You know, you probably have been feeling some of that. We went through, you know, Thanksgiving and the holidays and uh, however you celebrate the holidays. Uh, it, often, sometimes it can be stressful, but often there's a feeling of a little bit more appreciation just in the air. Don't wait until Thanksgiving to practice gratitude. It is the direct way to open the heart and to notice all the blessings in our life instead of what's wrong. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Learn about our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for any of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now back to our program. And here's the little added component that is not only feel it, not only notice it and reflect on it, but let yourself feel it. So here's a little um, practice. Because letting yourself feel it is really bringing mindfulness to your experience that is paying attention in a very interested way without grasping for anything more or trying to change things, but just noticing, noticing the hard stuff, but not missing the good stuff. So here's a little gratitude exercise. Okay. I'd like you to, um, uh, sit up and, um, no, you don't have to stand. Oh, if you want to stretch, you can, but, uh, but this will be seated. Okay. And, um, Now, just go inside and think of some blessing in your life. Someone or some thing, some circumstance, that's a real blessing inside. And now, call up a picture, an image that helps you connect with that blessing. That smile of if it's a person or that circumstance. So you can really just let yourself enjoy it and give a a simple silent thank you right from your heart to that person or to life. Oh, thank you. And as you're in this thank you, let yourself relax and enjoy that experience of gratitude. Oh, thank you. How do you feel it? How do you experience it? Just be a, an explorer. What is gratitude? And just enjoy. You don't have to squeeze anything out. Oh, thank you. Take a nice deep breath and bring to mind another blessing. Someone, something, and open up to an image Once again, a simple thank you right from your heart. Oh, thank you. And then just let yourself enjoy it. And one last time, take a nice deep breath. And one more blessing. How life has been so generous to you. And have an image, a simple thank you. Thank you for this too. And then just relax and enjoy it. Don't miss it. Okay, you can very gently come out. You notice that, how that feels? Okay, so now that's the basic principle. And in the few moments I have left before we're going to uh, open up to questions, just something now about being a change maker in these times. You know, as I said, one of the principles is opening up to all the hard stuff and really letting it in, letting it in in a skillful way so that you're not overwhelmed, but you're not disconnected and finding the balance between compassion, that caring in us, and equanimity where we're not taking on too much and feeling overwhelmed. And so we have to really find the balance between that for each of us But besides opening up to the hard stuff, another principle, a key principle, is expressing our caring in this world. And more than just 
wishing well, finding out what your gifts are and learning how to share them, whether it's a, a global issue or on a personal level. Uh, the the um, father of positive psychology, Martin Seligman, wrote this book, Authentic Happiness. He says the real happiness comes from identifying what our gifts are and then sharing them with the world, helping your neighbor with a, with cable car, jumping cables, you know, or any way, or being out there and trying to make this a better world in in big in bigger arenas. Whatever it is, there's a saying of one of my teachers, Angelus Arian, uh, used to say, action absorbs anxiety. And we can get so caught up in, in our helplessness, but when we express our caring, we start to come alive. And particularly when we do it connected with others. Here we are coming here together when we're isolated, we implode and we feel hopeless. But when we do things with others, I've been very involved in climate in the, the last few years and I have a commitment. Like I said, this is the year. Um, I have a commitment to do whatever I can, but do every time I get together with people and we explore as a community we're not alone and we inspire each other. So finding friends to do it with, to do whatever your caring is, makes a difference. And one more thing, and hopefully if you, it'll, more will come out with your questions because um, I didn't have time to go into the topic as much as I would like, so maybe it'll come out with your questions. But a key is uh, one of the great, diseases of our time is othering is they're different from me and I've got to beware we're tribal we're wired up to be tribal species and we feel at ease with those closest to us and a a bit wary uh, if we don't see through the barriers and that's what's causing so much pain and uh, and and hatred and divisiveness at this time. So here's a little practice for you. I learned it from a 13-year-old girl uh, from Trinidad when uh, my wife and I were invited to, to, um, to teach uh, the educators down there. And the guy who invited us, his 13-year-old girl, really wise, she said to me uh, while we were down there, I'm working on an invention that I, uh, I think might uh, lead to world peace. I said, oh yeah, well, Tell me about that. I'm interested. She said, it's called a perspective helmet. You put it on, and as soon as you put it on, you understand the perspective of the person that you're speaking to. I said, if you figure out how to do it, I'll invest in that one. (laughs) It's so simple, and that is a key. And it's the key even... Not to convince the other person, but to move from bitterness and hatred to just see even the ones that you tear your hair out and saying, I can't believe they're who they are and what they do. You see, it's just ignorance. It's just not seeing clearly. It's just confusion that makes them have the worldview that they do. It's just whatever narrow-mindedness it is, but the more you can understand it, instead of blaming them, seeing they're just confused. You know, some of the people who I, I have the most challenging time with are just very pained, uh, confused, um, really, uh, um, they're not happy inside. And so I can have compassion and wish for their true happiness because if they find true happiness, they're not going to hurt others and they'll, they'll feel connection. It might not happen in this lifetime, but at least I'm not coming back with hatred. As it said, uh, hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred just ceases by love. This is an ancient and eternal law. Or as Martin Luther King says, you have no moral authority 
over those who can feel your underlying contempt. So to move out of that smallness and just see about understanding the bigger picture. And I'll stop here and, uh, and maybe we can take some questions. Yeah. Thank you, James. We would like to remind our listening audience that this is a program of the Commonwealth Club of California. We now open the floor for questions. Please keep your questions short and concise, allowing time for others to voice their questions as well. Our volunteers are here to bring the microphone to you when it is your turn to ask your question. Thank you. That was a great presentation. Thank you. you. Your last comment struck me a little bit. Wouldn't, Wouldn't it be that they are thinking the same thing of you, that you're the one who is scared and they're worried about you and they're they're trying to offer back to you what you're offering to them so it just it kind of struck me that maybe they're thinking the same thing back how do you, how do you... they being the the ones on the other side right exactly and uh, and you think they're offering back something that you can learn from something that you can learn from absolutely and the key it's not just understanding where they're coming from or, or understanding their confusion, but really listening and understanding why they think the way they do. So it's much more about listening than about proselytizing or, or convincing. The more somebody can feel heard and you can find common ground, you know, if you can get to the place where, um, oh, you care about your children and your grandchildren and a, and a healthy planet for them too. Oh, how wonderful. What will, what will help us do that? You know, so it's more about listening than uh, convincing. Absolutely. About finding the common ground, basically. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And having them feel that you're really interested makes all the difference. Get you how how to measure the happiness level? Say more. What comes from? Maybe there is. Uh, we can measure the temperature in the room. Mm-hmm. So maybe how to measure the happiness level right now in this room? Seven point eight. <laughs> According what? <laughs> Out of one hundred? <laughs> ten. Ten. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, wherever you are. It's, this is not a kind of um, contest or striving. And actually, the more people try to be happy, sometimes people saying, you know, I'm, I'm trying really hard to feel joyful. And it's just, <laughs> this is hard. That won't do it. In fact, it's more about relaxing and enjoying any well-being that there is in here. And so wherever you are, if you're feeling ecstatic, great. If you're just feeling contentment, actually in the teachings that I'm familiar with, contentment is a more sustainable and deeper foundation of well-being than ecstasy. Ecstasy, you burn out. Uh, uh, It can get intense and it's exhausting. So in, in the kind of flips things around that... The higher there, there's like there's bliss. This is in, in the teachings that we teach at Spirit Rock. There's bliss, but even better, there's a kind of happiness. Even better, there's a kind of contentment. Even better, if one can say better, there's peace. There's no higher happiness than peace, as it's said. So it's not about how intense it is. Here's the, here's the little... Um, principle that I would uh, uh, put to you. When you're feeling contracted, any movement, the slightest movement towards relaxing and opening and starting to, as I said before, those wholesome states, starting to move in the direction of expansion, that's good enough. Sometimes people feel... I've got to go for the gusto or open my heart and love the world. And Don't go for that. Just notice, oh, I'm feeling okay now. Okay is okay. Okay is okay. But we are, you know, we've got to have glitz and lights. And it's not okay is, oh, notice, oh, I'm feeling okay. And then just 
pay attention to that feeling of okay. And it will, if you keep on paying attention to it and keep on nourishing it in its own way, you will keep on inclining the mind that way. So however you're feeling, just notice, can you still allow for an ease and openness and expansion? That's kind of how I see it. Yeah. I I find myself wondering a couple of things. Uh, Number one, do you have any children? And number two, if so, (laughs) how do you apply these principles to working with them? Mm. Oh, now you're getting to the advanced joy. (laughs) Yes, I do have children. I have two children, uh, one uh, 49 uh, the, his, he's got, it's a very interesting story. That's chapter five in my book. Cause it's a, a little complicated story. I didn't know him uh, before he was born and go from there. We're very close. And I have another, uh, child by, um, uh, with my wife who's 33 and they're both great, uh, beautiful human beings. Um, and so with the child, uh, you, um, you can the child a child helps you develop the four heart qualities three that come very easily ah love compassion when they're suffering joy when they're feeling successful and having a, a great time and equanimity is the fourth one that is the parenting practice okay that is Keep on seeing the good in that human being. Set good limits. I don't know how old your kids are. And at some point, uh, when they're old enough, if you know that they're not going to be self-destructive or mean-spirited, turn from becoming a manager to a consultant. Okay, Where you're not micromanaging their life. And if you'd only do this, you'd be okay. But you become a consultant and just let them develop into the human beings that they're supposed to be, just like you wanted your parents to let you as you grew older and keep on looking for the good. When, uh, if it's a teenager that you've got, uh, one of the key words when my son Adam was, was uh, a teenager and we crossed our fingers for about five or six years that he'd, he'd make it through. He now teaches meditation and is a very, and he says, come on, dad, if you're really serious about enlightenment, get on with it. Um, but, uh, we, I learned the key word with teenagers is respect. So every time it was sincere, I'd say, Oh, Adam, I really respect the way you do that. Hmm. Okay. Different than, Oh, Good boy. Oh, you're, you know, if you only do this, you'd be better. Just keep on looking for the good and respecting them and listening to them to understand and uh, just cheer them on. So just curious about your advice uh, for those people who basically um, trying to be happy. They're living happy, but they still accumulate some uh, explosions of anger and anxiety. How they should cope Cut it off that part. Mm-hmm. Okay, good question. Uh, this gives me an opportunity to read this little uh, contemporary prayer. Dear God, so far today I've done okay. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been crabby, mean, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. And I'm very grateful for that. But dear God, in a few minutes I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> And then I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Amen. We can have all kinds of good intentions, and yet we are wired up habits. It's all habits. And when you see that it's all habits and causes and conditions, and you really want to wake up and change, that's the whole process. That's what we teach it. Uh, that's what mindfulness meditation is about or what we teach on retreats at Spirit Rock that, or, or uh, in, in the course where you see that you're angry and you learn instead of expressing it, exte- it's one thing to be angry inside, but as soon as it's given words or actions, 
there's a whole lot more cleaning up to do. So to, if you can draw the line as best you can between expressing it and just kind of uh, learn to be with it as part of the human experience, learn to make friends with it, learn to have compassion with it. There's all kinds of, of practices that help us hold all of our um, difficult emotions. And the more when, when we get angry, instead of saying, um, uh, you know, oh God, I'm so pathetic. Or when you see somebody else angry, why don't they have it together? You're deepening your own compassion for them. Oh, I know what that's like to lose myself. And mindfulness, by the way, has been shown. There's this, um, uh, this term called, um, um, refractory period, Paul Ekman coined it, where there's a stimulus and then there's a response where you lose it. And the refractory period in this, this term is the time in between where you've really lost your mind, right? And then you wake up and mindfulness has been shown in lots of studies that it shortens the refractory period so you don't lose it for as long. So I've been meditating now for 45 years. You press the right button, I can be back in the third grade. You know, little boy and insecure. It's very different now than it was when I started. And I might get activated for, you know, a few minutes. Or there's a part that knows I'm really, I'm really lost here. I better find out how to take care of myself and not cause harm instead of getting lost for days or weeks or months. So, so I have a, I have two questions. One is when do you think the migration needs to happen from manager to consultant or parent to friend? (laughs) And um, the second one is, can you comment on how we experience the various levels of bliss, happiness, at the different ages or stages of our lives? Mm -hmm. Big question in two minutes, Uh, one minute. Uh, The management to consultant, you know, every every kid is different. One, as I said, if you don't feel that they're, if you feel they're not going to harm themselves, that they're not self-destructive or harming others, and you have a pretty good sense of, that you can trust their judgment. They'll make mistakes just like you probably did. I certainly did. And that's part of growing up to whatever extent you need to create, um, a safe container and say, okay, I trust you on this and I trust you on that. But these things we want to have agreements on just having their agreements rather than imposing an edict uh, and having them in on the process makes all the difference in the world. But the more you can let them know that you trust their judgment, it kind of helps them shine. As far as different stages, you know, everybody is different. There are some people as, as I get into my, um, my older years, um, some people go into, uh, into uh, the later stages of life kicking and screaming and complaining and feeling their life is lost. And some people just get more and more wise and blossoming and more love to give. And it can be the same with the early years. Some people peak at, uh, at nine or 10 or 17 at a high school prom and are downhill. But when you see that there's a direction, you just want to face in the right direction and just go there. Thank you for a wonderful experience um, and perspective. And it all makes sense. And then I'm confused all over again. And you're what? Confused all over again. Oh, well. And so. Let yourself be confused. (laughs) Thank you. And you hold confusion and say, ah, I'm confused. And then you're clear again. You might be clearly confused, but at least you're clear about it. You know, and here's confusion. I am clearly confused and I haven't gotten out of bed yet. Uh, And what does one do when they observe or experience something, an event, an action that they find so heinous or heinous that they feel the need to express outrage? Mm -hmm. It's how you express it. It's how you, and, and what your goal is, 
If you want the goal to be to just vent, that's one thing. If you want effective response on the other side, then you might consider what the person on the other side is able to hear. But I'm not saying be a doormat. In fact, as I said, remember at the beginning, this is no time to play small. This is a time to be courageous and fearless and speak your truth, but do it in a way that you can be heard. Like that Martin Luther King quote, you have no moral authority authority over those who can feel your underlying contempt. And so you do everything you can with as much intention, but lead with love. Because if you lead with love, you've got more of a chance of being effective, whether it's Martin Luther King or Gandhi or uh, all the great masters or you. We all have it in us and we can be much more effective and centered coming from that place. So I know there's, is, it, is, is there okay, time for one more? Okay. Uh, you, you tell me when. And I, I can stay afterwards if uh, I'm happy to stay afterwards. What's that? Oh, great. Okay. Oh, let's just hang out then. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask your thoughts on the balancing act of compassion, of working to support change or caring about heinous acts, but not feeling too much responsibility or getting overwhelmed with that. So I'm just wondering your thoughts on how to balance that and yeah. where, where to go with that. Okay. Uh, great question. You know, like I said, these days, that's, that's the key to make a difference in the world. First of all, <clears throat> it's not up to you to save the world. Way too much. It's up to you. As I said, uh, one of my teachers saying, come from a joyful responsibility. And you do what you do from love and that becomes contagious. The more you can, you can do it with people, the more you're connected, the more there's a kind of, what is it? Uh, maybe I can find it. The multiplicity of courage um, uh, is, a, is a, a phrase that um, Nelson Mandela uh, had multiplicity of courage. When people get together and they feed off each other's commitment, a whole, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And when people get together, amazing things can happen. So find like-minded friends and do it from love because underneath all the outrage and the, the, the fear and the, um, all of those difficult feelings, it hurts because you care. And so go underneath the outrage or the frustration to that place that just cares. And the more you can come from that place, uh, in, in, in Buddhist teachings, compassion is a divine abode. It's a sublime state. And yet it requires the heart opening to suffering. Suffering is a prerequisite for a sublime state. Not that suffering is sublime, but the caring that it elicits, oh, I care, is really beautiful. We're wired up to care. So staying in touch with that part of you and just doing your part, not more than you can do. If you're doing more than your part, it's exhausting and you burn out. So that's why you also need to nourish yourself with other practices so you, uh, with like gratitude, it gives you space to hold the pain. And so out of gratitude, then you feel your grief, you feel your, your sorrow and your pain, and then you metabolize it and see with fresh eyes, how can it be most skillful in this? And then you, you go forward and do what you do out of love and that becomes contagious and you need to take a break from time to time. You need to, what I call titrate your suffering, you know, and just, just take it a little at a time. And when you're feeling overloaded, take a break from the news. Just 
go to the beach and uh, and dance on the beach barefoot <laughs> or 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 listen to music or see a see a comedy or whatever ah and regroup so that then you can go back with uh with a renewed spirit do you uh see our fear of vulnerability as just another state of contraction or a major impediment that we put out fear is really the bottom line of all the contraction, the way I see it. There's a, it was a beautiful book that uh, Jerry Jampolsky wrote. Uh, the title says it all, Love is Letting Go of Fear. We are wired up for survival and for um, uh, uh, safety and for um, not getting what we want is frightening. Getting what we want and losing it is is that way, and vulnerability is is a, a, a an expression of fear. But actually, vulnerability is really a key to opening up to fearlessness. The way to fearlessness is vulnerability, because if we're so busy protecting ourselves, we're just locked in and not in touch with all the goodness inside. But when we learn to hold our fear with compassion and to even express our humanness. When you're around somebody, just, you know, you think for yourself, when you're around somebody who's kind of really protected and, you know, they're not, you know, you're not going to touch me. um, How inspiring is that? You know, or, hey, let me dominate you and show you, oh, thank you for the, for your directions. Okay. But when you're around somebody who is authentic enough to be vulnerable, you know, and you have to be careful what what the environment is because you want to be safe. If you feel safe enough to be vulnerable and you say, I'm scared, you know, or I'm going through a hard time right now, uh, or I really blew it and I made a mistake, you want to step in towards that energy because because it touches your heart vulnerability touches one heart to another so use it well be safe protect yourself to the extent that you need but don't be afraid of being authentic thank you so much uh do we have time for one last question maybe one very quick question yes over there i'll try and make it quick so uh, what i got out of this is a lot of just focusing on myself and trying to get in touch with the joy that I have in my life. And there's much, and I've become rec- uh, recognized that. I think uh, some of us here also are in a situation where we're leaders of people in a work environment or in a group environment, these kinds of things. And if you have like one or two suggestions on how we can help lead others who may not be in that state of joy or, or mm-hmm. they're dealing with change, they're dealing with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Even just a couple of quick okay. uh, ideas would be good. Yeah. And uh, just to clarify, first, the first thing you said, it is true. It starts with ourselves. And, and one of the essential principles is learning to see all the good inside of us. And from that, we can start to um, relate in, in a very healthy and, and profound way with and connecting with others, both those closest to us who sometimes are the hardest or those... Uh, in a bigger arena. And then out of that comes compassion, uh, compassionate action near and far. As far as being a leader, you're in a really um, uh, uh, precious position where your believing in people can make a huge difference. So there's something about leadership that's, that is again, a kind of responsibility, but a word from a leader that says, I believe, that communicates, I believe in you. Or this was, uh, this needs attention, but I want you to know I'm cheering you on. Can just help people shine. So a basic principle that I have, one of my, my basic practices for many years, even before I got into uh, the meditation uh, is to look for the good. 
because the, as I said earlier, the more you look for the good, the, the more you'll bring it out in them. And as a, just a, the, the last little practice, if you're say in a room and somebody comes in and you know that they're looking for all your flaws, how do you feel? Flawed or small or defensive, whatever. Somebody else comes into that room and you know that they're just tuning in to how beautiful you are. How do you feel? Beautiful. Because we can pick that up. So not only will you see it, but you actually draw it out of others. So as a leader, what a gifted position to just keep on helping awaken the goodness in others and helping them shine. Because the 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 real benefit is not only will they feel good, but it will ripple out and touch everyone in their lives. So it becomes contagious. So what a what a valuable opportunity you have there. Thank you. Yeah. I think I speak for everyone here when I say that ingratitude <laughs> We are truly grateful for our speaker, James Barris, and our audience for participating in tonight's program. We also are grateful for those listening to tonight's recording. And now, this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California, commemorating the, its 116th year of enlightened discussion, is adjourned. <laughs>